Well, uh, one of the things you may or may not know this about me, when I was in college, I was an RA, which meant I took care of all the other students' problems. So if there was drama, took care of it. If uh, the freshmen didn't know how to deal with their new schedules, I took care of it. And uh, just to make sure that we were completely covered on all of our bases, we also had to do like an emergency training, basically like a small, easy CPR class where if there was an emergency, we could at least uh, help out a little bit before uh, the, the real heroes could arrive. And so I remember going through our training that summer. I was becoming an RA, and, and they kind of teach you how to do this. There's like the dummy on the ground, and the first thing, if you were to see somebody unconscious, you run up to them, excuse me, ma'am or sir, are you okay? Which, of course, A, it's a dummy, but B, if they were truly unconscious, they're not going to answer anything. So that's our cue, something's not okay. So then we move to them, and, and we do two things. The first thing is we check for A, Pulse, that's right. And then we put our ear down and we, when we feel for breath. Yeah, you feel for breathing. And if those aren't happening, there's a big problem. So then they walked us through how to do the compressions, how to mouth-to-mouth and CPR and everything. And the whole point is, you know someone's alive if they have a pulse. If you feel the, the rhythm of someone's heartbeat, you know that they are alive. If you feel the ins and outs of their breathing, their breath, you know that they're alive. That's how we can tell if we are alive or not, is do we have a pulse? Do you feel the the constant rhythm of a heartbeat? If you were to hook yourself up to an EKG machine, this is what your heartbeat probably would look like. I mean, I guess it depends on how healthy you are, but it would be something like this, is in every single one of these, it's it's giving the rhythm, it's showing the the rhythm of your heart and your other vital signs. And you'll notice alive means that there's ups, downs, ups, downs, ups, down. Now, if it were to just be straight across the board, if it was just like this, if the line was flat, we call that what? Flat line. And that means you are dead. That's exactly right. If it's not doing this and it's doing this, that's bad news. And so that machine tells us what's the rhythm? What's the rhythm? And are we alive? Understand that our lives, our life story, our journey looks a whole lot like that. Because the pulse of our life is this constant rhythm of ups and downs. Life goes really well, and then it kind of bottoms out. And then, oh, things get better again, and then something else happens. It is a constant up and down, up and down. And we say things like, man, I just, I can't catch a break, and it's just not going my way. And here we go again, because we go from a high, and then we drop down in a low, and then it goes up again, and then, oh, here it goes again. And we get really discouraged and even disappointed when we live through that pulse. But here's what, what we got to get is yes, we have to wrap our minds around, okay, the pulse of our life is this constant rhythm of up and down. We know if there's gonna, we know there's gonna be ups in life. We know that there's gonna be downs in life. We may not know what they are, but we know they're coming. If life's going really well, we're like, all right, something's about to happen one of these days. And when you're down, you, you hope and pray that maybe one day we'll get pulled out of this. We know that there's ups and downs, but we're not sure how to truly work through the ups and downs. Because if we're really honest, we really wish that our life just looked like this. We wish it was a flat line, maybe more like up, like, ooh, it's good. It's getting better. It's really good now. We, we want it to just be flat, trending up and to the right. But, but a flat line means you're dead. The true pulse of life is the ups and downs, the ins and outs. It's that constant rhythm of up and down. And so even though we may know that in our minds, we don't know how to deal with it in our hearts. We don't know how to deal with the ups that move to downs and how to eventually get back to an up. We don't know what to do with those ups and downs of life, but it is the pulse of our life. Every single one of us, it will look differently. You'll experience ups and downs differently than I will, but we will all go through experience ups and downs of life because it's the pulse of our life. It means we're living. 
And that's the part of our life story. So what I want us to do is we're going to look at Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah. He's a prophet of God, and he, just like us, has ups and downs. And I want you to pay attention not just to what the ups and downs are. We'll see that. But I want you to pay attention to what God does in the ups and downs. Because we're going to start to see, even when we're on a spiritual high, we're, we're on an up in our life, or whether we're in a down or maybe somewhere in between, we're going to see that God is still very evident and God is continuing to move regardless. So 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to pick up the story in verse 24. Let me give you a little background here so you can catch up a little bit. So Elijah, prophet of God, like I said, but in this time, in this context, he's really the only one following God. The entire nation of Israel under King Ahab has then been led astray. Ahab, not a great king. He's not the worst king they've had. But the problem with King Ahab is he married Jezebel. Is anybody in here named Jezebel, by the way? Probably not. I need to change part of my sermon if you are. Just you need to let me know. Probably not, though. Because Jezebel is now, because of her, is now synonymous with just evil. Nobody in their right mind, Becky and I are going through baby names. Trust me, Jezebel's not on the table because of her. She's ruthless, she's evil, she's a, 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 she worships Baal, idol worship. And because of her strong evil side of her, she has swayed her husband, King Ahab. And now the entire nation of Israel is now following Baal, following the prophets of Baal. And they've walked away from God and now they are in idol worship. The only one left is poor Elijah, who's trying to, help and trying to get Ahab and the rest of the Israelites, the rest of the children of God, God's people back towards God. But Jezebel has such a strong grip on Ahab and the nation of Israel. It's not happening. So with God's, with God's uh, laying out vision for what Elijah should do next, he comes up with a challenge. So he gets Ahab and all of the Israelites, as well as these 450 prophets of Baal, says, let's all get together. We need to really decide this once and for all, who's God? Because all of you are following Baal, and I'm the only one over here saying, no, God Almighty is the one true God. Let's finish this. Let's finalize it. Let's figure out once and for all whose God is the one true God. So he gets everybody together on this mountain, and Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build two altars. You, prophets of Baal, build one altar, and you see if your God, Baal, will rain fire down and ignite the altar. I'll do the same thing. He's going to build an altar, put the sacrifice on it, and see if God, God Almighty, Lord God, would then pour, pour fire down from heaven and then light that altar. So here's, here's where we pick it up. Verse 24, 1 Kings 18 as he's giving his idea on this challenge, this competition they're going to have between the one and only prophet of God, Elijah, and the 450 prophets of Baal, plus the nation of Israel. Verse 24, then call on the name of your God after you've built your altars, then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. They said, okay, this will be great. We'll finally put to rest who is God. Verse 26, so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning until when? Noontime, all morning, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. Verse 27, about noontime, so several hours already, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I love this because he, he gets kind of fed up at this point. He began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Or perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. That's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Perhaps he is daydreaming or he's in the bathroom 
Or maybe he's away on a trip, that's it, or is asleep and needs to be wakened. He gets so sarcastic with these prophets of Baal. They've been shouting and chanting all morning, and now Elijah begins to just be sarcastic and egg him on. Oh, you just got to be a little louder. He might not be able to hear you. He's in the bathroom. He's on vacation. He's busy doing something else. You got you to get his attention. So look at what they do. It's now afternoon, moving into evening, verse 28. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. All day they had been trying to get God, little g, Baal's attention. Rain fire down, show us you're real, prove that you're real, Baal. 450 prophets are trying to get the attention of Baal. Now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah builds his altar, puts the sacrifice, puts the bull right on top, and he goes above and beyond. He pours a bunch of water on it as well, fills a trench even up with water, and he simply walks up to his sacrifice, to his altar, and look at what he does. Verse 36. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Didn't shout, didn't chant, didn't dance, didn't cut himself. He just prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Very next verse. Immediately, immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, as all of us would, as, as all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. I mean, what an incredible scene. All day, they come up with this challenge, this competition. All day, the prophets of Baal are trying to get their God's attention. And then it's Elijah's turn. After all day of them hooting and hollering, as we would say, now it's Elijah's turn. And he simply walks up to the altar praise. God, I know that you're real. God, I know that you are the one and only almighty God. Prove to your people that you are. And in that moment, in that instance, immediately fire from heaven rained down and just immediately ignited that entire altar. And then people's response was, yes, of course, you're not God. You are absolutely God. Baal's not God. God almighty is the one true God. This moment for Elijah is something that we, uh, especially in the church world, we call a mountaintop experience. We heard mountaintop experience, a uh, spiritual high. He's, he is in an incredible place. I mean, put yourself in Elijah's shoes. He's doing pretty well. I mean, I, I know this isn't like an ego thing for Elijah, but not bad for a day's work where he actually prayed and God rained fire down from heaven. I mean, that's a big deal. If, if you prayed and fire came down from heaven, I'd say you're a pretty big deal. Elijah did that. He prayed, fire came down from heaven, and an entire nation turned back to God. I mean, of course, God, you're great. God, you're good. Look at everything that you're doing, and you're doing it through Elijah. That would be an up in my life if that was me. If I rained fire down and an entire nation came back to God, I would be like, yeah, life's pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
That's what we would call a spiritual high. It would be a mountaintop experience where God is evident and you can tell God is real and he's answering your prayers and just you and God are just gelling. It's driving everything, is going according to plan and you are just on cloud nine. Life is good. But we also know that there's the, the heartbeat of life, right? The ups and downs, ups and downs. So here's what I want you to do. Grab your worship guide that you got when you came in today. Grab your worship guide, grab, grab a pen. If you don't have a worship guide, you can use that communication card because you're probably not gonna fill it out anyway. I know how many of you fill those out, by the way. I do. All right, here's what I want you to do. Grab a pen right there in your cup holder. Grab either a worship guide, communication card, scrap piece of paper, do something. And I want you to draw your heartbeat of life. And it's all gonna look about the same. It's that rhythm of ups and downs. It's the rhythm of ups and downs, right? We have ups and we have downs. That's the pulse of our life, the consistent rhythm of ups and downs. So that's our heartbeat of life, ups and downs. What I want you to do is I want you to put some, some specifics to those ups. When you're just like, man, God, you're good. God, you're, you're proven faithful. God, life is good. Times in your life, in your life's heartbeat, what are some of those ups? Write down a situation, an instance, a moment, a date, um, a relationship, something that you would say, you know, that was a high point for me. That was an up in my life. That was, I was on a spiritual high. That was a mountaintop experience for me. As I go through mine, uh, in high school, I'm gonna write down high school CIY. CIY stands for Christ in Youth. It was a summer camp for high schoolers. And my senior year, I went to CIY. That's when I decided, hey, I'm gonna go to a Christian university and I'm gonna study, become a pastor. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I felt like God was moving me in that direction. So that's really when it happened for me. That summer camp uh, as a senior in high school, that was a, that was a big high, that was an up. I also remember, I told you I was an RA earlier. Uh, my senior year as an RA what we do is, you know, welcome weekends. Many of you that took your college students to, to the university this last fall, they have like orientation weekend. Well, as RAs were over that. And in my freshman orientation group that I was over was Becky. And I was very happy to have a freshman named Becky in my class, in my orientation class. And eventually I made her marry me. So meeting Becky, freshman orientation, that was a high. Um, as a dad, of course, when my kids were born, becoming a dad, I mean, all of those are, are great highs. I mean, a great up, just God is good, thank you, and they're healthy, they're safe. I mean, I'm gonna try to figure this dad thing out. And uh, here, here's one. What happened two years ago this month, Mountain Lake? We started this church two years ago as of September 7th, September 7th, 2014. We officially launched Mountain Lake Dawson. So I'm gonna put down here September 7th, Mountain Lake Dawson. Launch. I mean, that was a huge high. I mean, it was an incredible spiritual high. I was like, God, man, you are so good. Those of you that have been here that long, I mean, it was an incredible experience launching this campus. Those that have been here uh, or got here since then, I mean, I'm telling you, it was incredible. And actually next Sunday, we were gonna celebrate our two years. And so make sure you're here, invite some friends and just let them hear part of our story of two years in all the life change that God has, has done through our church and in our community over the last two years. And I'm excited to kind of share, hey, here's, here's what's next for us as we continue to to see stories of life change happening every single week. So we'll do that next week. That was definitely a high. And we have those moments where like, God, you're so good. Life is so good. Can we just leave it alone? Don't touch anything. What happens though? That'd be a flat line. But because we're alive, because this is how our life stories work out, we have the pulse of up and down, up and down. We know that eventually we're gonna get pulled down off of these and that's when we get discouraged. That's when we have a high, we're on this spiritual mountaintop and we, we get pulled down off of our ups. We get discouraged, we get disappointed, we become afraid. And we begin to forget what God has done here. Elijah's no different. 
want you to see what happens. He had this incredible mountaintop experience where he saw God rain fire down from heaven, an amazing miracle because of his prayer. But as he has ups, he also has downs. And I want you to see what happens next. So 1 Kings 19, verse one, immediately after that whole thing happened with the prophets of Baal and God's the one true God and fire from heaven. And uh, they begin to celebrate King Ahab, him as well as the entire nation of Israel is turning back to God. Verse one out of 1 Kings 19, when Ahab got home, so this was immediate. This was right in the same scene here. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, we know how nice she was. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, if you're Elijah and you just saw God do something incredible and an entire nation is now back following God, then you get this message. You get this email. You get this text message. And all of a sudden you are no longer on that mountaintop experience. You are no longer experiencing that spiritual high. You're no longer on and up but you have the most ruthless person in the known world threatening to kill you tomorrow. That'll put you off a high real quick. This is what happens. He gets that message. He gets that note. Verse three, Elijah, here's how he responded to it. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. He goes from such an incredible high, such an incredible up of God showing how evident, how real, how active he is. Seeing an entire nation come back to him, and in an instant, in a moment, that all changed. It goes from a high all the way down to a low, perhaps the lowest of lows we could, we could imagine. He gets a note threatening his life. Scripture says that he ran away. He was afraid and he ran away. He fled for his life. And now he finds himself in his lowest of lows. He went from full of faith, full of confidence, full of seeing God do incredible things to in a moment, afraid and running for his life. Went from a high all the way to a lowest of lows. It's the pulse of our life though, isn't it? We experience the highs and the ups and then something happens, something doesn't happen. And all of a sudden we are plunged into perhaps some of our lowest moments throughout our life story. Here's what I want you to do. Grab that worship guy that you got your life heartbeat on, the ups and downs. Just as you have like a Put some names and some situations, some circumstances or relationships for your highs. Do the same thing for your lows. So write down what are those low points. If you think back over your life journey, your life story, we have the, the highs. And we like to talk about the highs. We like to talk about the ups. But what are some of those lows? What are some of those downs that you've had as you think back over your life? Uh, one of mine early on in high school dealt with my sister. And my younger sister, she's in a great place now. Um, seen incredible life change in her over the years. But I remember getting the phone call from my parents just saying, Amanda's not here. And my first thought was like, she, she's died. Something's happened. And it was like, no, she's not dead, but we don't know where she's at. And that began a, a mostly down spiral um, for her and even part of our family of, of her just back and forth of, of gone and not sure where she's at. And all this is during high school, being in different facilities. And just, man, she dealt with a lot. 
And like I said, she's in a much better place now, but I remember that phone call and I remember trying to have those conversations with her. And it was a very low point for me personally as a brother, seeing my family go through this, seeing my sister go through that. Uh, it, was, it was a major, major low. Told you how I got into ministry. The first job, full-time job that I took was in California. Three months after I got there, guess what happened? You ready for this? Three months after I got there, moved everything there, uh, didn't know anybody. Three months after I got there, that church went through a church split. And I promise it wasn't my fault, but three months after I got there, I remember getting on the phone and I remember saying, dad, this is not what I want to do. Help me find another job. I got to get out of here. I mean, that was a low of low for me, getting on the scene and then seeing such, such devastation and division happen within a church, went through a church split. Another one later in life, Becky and I had, had our first son, Connor, and we began talking, having those tough conversations on, okay, what do we need to do in our life as we prepare uh, to raise our son? And, and I remember how one of our conversations ended. The result, and it was definitely one of my lows, uh, was selling the motorcycle for the minivan. Wasn't the lowest of lows, but I'm telling you, it was pretty close. So yes, I, I got rid of my motorcycle and we bought a minivan. We became a minivan family. Um, many of you heard this not that long ago. We, we experienced a miscarriage several, several months ago. I mean, we, we can go on and on, on on our lows. And here's what's interesting about our lows. And, and if you're wired like me, I think most of you are in some ways wired like me. It's, it's easy to think in general terms about the highs. Like we say things like, oh yeah, last year was good. Well, what did God do? Oh, you know, he was just good. Things worked out. It's, it's a little bit more difficult to think of a lot of very specific high moments and up moments. We tend to speak generally about the, the ups. It's a whole lot easier to talk very specific about every single one of those downs, every single one of those lows. With the lows, I mean, I, I can tell you where I was almost to the date of when it happened of each of the major lows and each of the major downs in my life. And I think the reason for that is because we get scarred by these downs. The highs are, are great, but we tend to take them for granted. And so when we find ourselves in this low where we just say, just like Elijah said, I just can't do this anymore. I've had enough, God. I've had enough. And we experience these in our lives and we become scarred from them. We have the memories of them. And it becomes, unfortunately, very easy to recite them very vividly and very specifically. We have a high, we have lows. We have this space in between. And here's what I want you to see next. And the very next part, after Elijah is saying, I'm done, I've had enough, God, let's just end it now. He's, he's, been, he's had some great faith, right? But the word here is now fear. God, I don't think I can do this. God, I don't think I can handle this. I've had enough. And somehow he went from full of faith to full of fear. Remember verse three? It says he was afraid and he fled for his life. He just saw God rain fire down from heaven and now he's sitting in a low point saying, God, I don't think you can take care of this. I just wanna be done. Full of faith to fully afraid. And it's not that he didn't have faith here. It's just the fear overshadowed his faith. And fear overshadows our faith when we either forget or underestimate the greatness of God. Elijah is in a, a spot. He's in a seat where he's having a difficult time remembering the greatness of God that he just witnessed. And fear has overshadowed his faith because his lack of remembering the greatness of God or underestimating the greatness of God. He's now afraid instead of full of faith. So here's what happens next. 1 Kings 19, verse five, very next part. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. 
All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Look, for the journey is too much for you. If you got your Bible there, I want you to underline, for the journey is too much for you. That's exactly where Elijah is sitting. He's in a space where he's seen a high, he's been on a high, God's done some incredible things, but now he's running for his life and he says, God, I'm done, I can't handle it anymore. And he's basically given up and God sends an angel and this angel meets a very physical need, miraculously brings him food to eat. And the angel says, get up and eat. Why? Because the journey is too much for you. The journey is too much for you. When we get in these lows, the journey can be too much for us. Elijah's solution was like, God, just end it. Let's just be done. Take my life. I've had enough. But what does God do here? He sends another miracle. Don't miss this. There was a miracle on the mountain where God rained fire down and showed all of his power, his might, and his glory. But he also sent a miracle to help Elijah in his time of need, in his lowest of low. Now, the miracle was not to get rid of the problem. God very well could have said, Elijah, don't worry about it. I'll take care of Jezebel. Don't worry about it. He never mentions that. What God does is provide a miracle for Elijah so that he can make it through the rest of the journey. Elijah, the journey's too much for you alone, so I'm gonna help you endure. God doesn't fix the problem. Rather, he helps Elijah survive the problem. He doesn't pull him out of the low, the down. He helps him endure his moment of being as low as you possibly could go. Don't, don't miss that. When we sit in this seat, we usually say, God, just fix it, take me out of this. God, let's just take care of it. And what God does is he provides miracles, many of them we don't recognize, and he helps us survive the low that we're going through. He helps us endure it so that we eventually then, as the rhythm goes, we then have an up at some other point. But the miracles are very different. But he helped Elijah in his time of need, just like God helps every single one of us endure our lowest of lows. Verse eight, so he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. Circle Horeb, we're gonna come right back to that. The mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now there are, there are moments as we go through scripture and I'm doing my study and everything, I, I kind of geek out over some Bible things. This is one of the things I geek out over and here's why. So he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to where, what'd you circle? Horeb, yeah, Mount Horeb. Now this is where Moses got the 10 commandments. This is like the Mount Sinai area. That's where he spent 40 days and 40 nights getting to. And it says here Mount Horeb and it's called the mountain of God. It's known as the mountain of God now. But if you were to look up in its original language, what Horeb literally means, how it originally got its name before Mount Sinai, before Moses, before Elijah, Horeb literally means desolate and wasteland. It literally was named the mountain of dried up ground. And that describes exactly where Elijah's at. But what's fascinating is Elijah, as low as he possibly could be, God, I'm done. He goes to a place of dried up ground that has somehow been turned into the mountain of God. See, in in our lowest of low moments, he doesn't necessarily make them an up, make them a high, but he still has God moments in these low points. The mountain of dried up ground became known as the mountain of God 
And church, the lowest of lows for us can be turned into God moments. Here's what happens next. Verse 11, Elijah and God start having a conversation in this cave. And God says this in verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, that small, soft, gentle voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, why are you afraid? Don't you remember what I just did? Don't you know who I am? You've seen. You prayed, Elijah, and fire came from heaven. An entire nation came back. Why are you afraid? Why are you running? Even if it is Jezebel, why are you running? I've got this. And it wasn't in the fire, and it wasn't in the earthquake, and it wasn't in the terrible windstorm. It was in this quiet moment at the mountain of dried up dirt in the wasteland in the middle of nowhere. He's saying, Elijah, why are you running? What has you running? What has you afraid? We, 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 we can talk in, in general terms of some of these highs and some of these ups, but in reality, when we get to these lows, man, we're, we've had enough. And we say, God, let's just be done with it. And we go from faithful to full of fear. And God's, God's answer to our prayers is more of a question. It's, why are you afraid? What has you running? What are you running away from? Don't you know who I am? Our life's heartbeat, our life's pulse, is a constant rhythm of ups and downs. Spiritual highs, mountaintop experiences, where life is good and God is good. Through our journey, we also have these lowest of lows where we say God is good, but do we really believe it? Where we're just, we've had enough. Where the journey is just too much for us and we've had enough. Our life is up and down. The only constant we have in our lives and a life of ups and downs, the only constant we have is the constant of God being with us every single step of the way. God was with Elijah, obviously, on the mountaintop. And on his journey, when he's at his lowest of low, he can't go on anymore. He's ready to call it quits. God provides a miracle and says, I'm still here. I'm going to help you endure. I'm going to give you what you need. And he shows up at the mountain of dried up ground, says, I'm still here. What are you afraid of? The constant we have in our life is God. And because he is our only constant, that means we can constantly go to him because he's always there. It means we can constantly rely on him because he is a God that rains fire down from heaven, provides miracles in the desert. It means we can constantly listen for him because he's speaking in that quiet, soft, gentle voice saying, why are you running? Why are you afraid? I'm here. I've got you. I've got this. He is our only constant in the constant ups and downs. If you were to do a study in scripture on all the times where do not fear, do not be afraid is listed, cover to cover, 
you will find well over a hundred of those verses and, and those situations where God or one of God's people says that. And what's interesting, if you study each of those, you'll notice that almost all of them have two parts. The do not be afraid part, and then the why you shouldn't be afraid part. God doesn't say, don't be afraid, and then just leaves it at that. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because I said so. He says, do not be afraid. And then he gives a reason that points back to, to who he is. And Genesis chapter 46, verse 3 says, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Why? Because I will make you into a great nation there. Deuteronomy 3.22, do not be afraid of the nations there for the Lord your God will fight for you. Joshua 10.8, do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Nehemiah 4.14, Nehemiah is now talking to a group of people, to God's people. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. But remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Luke 12.7, Jesus says, indeed the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid because you are worth more than many sparrows. John 6.20, Jesus also said when his disciples were afraid, he called out to them, do not be afraid I am here. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Why are you afraid? What are you running from? What has you on the run? When Jesus moves into our lives, a, lives of up, a life of up and down, constant ups and downs. When we say yes to him and he moves in, he never leaves. He's our constant. And his perfect love in us drives out all fear, whether it's in the highest of highs or whether it's the lowest of lows. We can constantly go to him, rely on him and listen for him because he is always there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our perfect love, for being the love that that drives out fear in us. And, and we experience the highs, we experience the lows and the space in between. And every moment and every step of the way, whether it's a high or whether it's a low, God, we know that you are with us. We are no longer slaves to the fear that we, we experience, but, but we are yours. And you love us and you value us so much that you will always be there for us be there with us to take care of us. God, we recognize that you don't just snap your fingers and solve our problems, but rather you walk with us. You help us endure. When the journey is too much, you provide what we need. So God, my prayer as, as we come together is that you would continue to do what you have always done, that you would be our constant, and that we would remember you always. In Jesus' name.